Previously on See You on the Bookshelf, we talked about everything leading up to the internal launches at the publishing houses. You are presenting a book that you've worked on with an author, and in this case, another editor for a really long time, you know, for months. And it's to the broader team, sales, marketing, international sales, UK sales, marketing PR, gosh, our audio team. So these meetings happen, and all the different teams break off to do their own brainstorming and planning. Meanwhile, the editorial process itself is coming to an end. But before the manuscript is completely done and locked, there's one more important step. Copy editing. When you're working with an editor, obviously you know you make a bunch of changes, you go through it again, you go through it again, and when it's final, um, it comes to copy editing. By now you've met my two editors, Jess and Anthea. This voice belongs to one of my copy editors. My name is Regina Castillo. I'm the copy chief at Dial Books for Young Readers, which means I do a lot of copy editing, a lot of proofreading. Uh, I check artwork for picture books. Um, you know, sort of pre-production end of the uh, of the bookmaking process. I've been part of Dial for about 23 years now. Yeah. My older brother, he was the one who first got into publishing. He started working for a vanity house, um, doing some editing work, some copy editing work as well. And when I went to college, I started doing freelance work for this vanity house. So with vanity houses and vanity presses, the author is paying to have their book published instead of the other way around. When I graduated, I did a little bit of uh, elementary school teaching, and then I decided I wanted to get back into publishing. So children's books, I think, was a perfect fit for me. Hmm. That's how I ended up here. An adjective you'll hear people use when talking about copy editors is eagle-eyed. Editors work on things like story and character. Copy editors are more focused on the smaller details. I read the manuscripts. I look for... Um, consistency issues. You know, if somebody has red hair on page five, they should also have red hair on page 10, you know, things like that. Um, grammar, spelling, um, repetitive language, things that, that your audience, you have to remember who you're writing for. Like if you're writing for younger children, there might be some, uh, some things in there that maybe they don't get, you know, that you have to, it may be too sophisticated or too, you know, too old, you know, oh, this happened way too long ago. The kids aren't going to know about this, you know, things like that. So you mean just like kind of like cultural references and, and things? Yeah, things like that too. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. It's like, oh yeah, on that, on that show, whatever. Oh, kids today aren't going to remember Love Boat. I mean, come on. <laughs> you do want to keep track of what's going on in the book also, you know, you, you have to, every little detail is important. You know, you think maybe it's just a throwaway line here or something, but it might come up later in the book or it might turn out to be something important that, oh, wait a minute, you know, I think, I think we need to fix this or I think we need to change this. Yeah, you do, you really need to pay attention to like every detail in, in every manuscript because it, it is all important. It's also important that copy editing is a separate part of the process from editing, not just because it's a different skill set, but also because at this stage, you need someone who's had a bit of distance from the editorial process. It's better that way because when you've worked on several iterations of the same manuscript, you and the editor are very, very close to it. And you, you want a fresh set of eyes to, to look at it as a new person, as, as somebody who, who doesn't know the material, who just is 
jumping in and saying, okay, this is a this is a brand new experience for me. This is what I'm reading now. Copy editors like Regina will work with outside proofreaders too to get even more pairs of fresh eyes on the manuscript. Sometimes you might cut something, but there's still a reference to it on another page. Somebody reading it for the first time will say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. And they say, oh, that's right, because we cut this reference earlier in the book. As you can imagine, it's a job that requires a lot of concentration and attention to detail. I do get in nice and early. I have my coffee. I check my emails. And it's very quiet um, that time of the morning. You know, and people aren't coming in yet. The phone isn't ringing. You can really, you can really get a lot done. I mean, you know, this kind of work is, is sort of solitary. You know, you, you kind of need silence and solitude to, to really concentrate on what you're reading to recognize mistakes, to recognize, oh, wait a minute, I think, I think this author said something similar five pages ago and she might not want to repeat herself or, you know, stuff like that. It's really a lot easier just when it's quiet and calm um, around me rather than, you know, people running in and out. So I get a lot done in the morning. Do you recall any specific challenges with See You in the Cosmos or any, any other thing that sort of was maybe a little unusual um, for this manuscript? Not, not real. I mean, you know, having never been an 11 year old boy myself, <laughs> I had to kind of, you know, think about my, my nephews at that age. Um, but, you know, once you get, once you get into the voice of the character, who really has a very unique, I mean, I just love him, by the way. (laughs) Um, Just, he's so, you just, you fall in love with this kid completely, you know? And there were no, no issues. Just, you know, the fact that I wanted to hug him was, was, was my only problem. That's, that's great. So there was a little bit of back and forth with the UK this time around, right? Or is that pretty Mm -hmm. normal with, other titles too. Sometimes that does happen. Yeah. Sometimes if we're doing a co-production, um, for the most part, I don't deal too much with that. Um, it's, it's mostly the editors, um, here and in the UK who will, who will more work together. Um, because the copy editing is going to be different. You know, the spelling is going to be different. Some of the grammar is going to be different, um, and things like that. So, you know, a couple of, a couple of issues maybe would come up that would be in both books. Like maybe, oh, you know, like if somebody says a dirty word or something, say, oh, uh, we don't, we don't want to use this word here or something like right. that. But otherwise, otherwise, the copy editing here and in the UK was it was you know separate. So I went back and I looked at my emails, and the copy editing process started in June of 2016. We went through several rounds of it, and then in September after Regina had pretty much finished on the U.S. side. It went over to the U.K. The first thing I always look out for is the word pants. <laughs> Make sure that the context <laughs> works. Because <laughs> um, in U.K., pants is underwear. So he jumps into the lake and he it says, I took off my shirts and pants. And at that point, you just got to go, whoa, no. <laughs> Definitely keeps uh, underwear on. <laughs> so I think I'd, um, I think I'd suggest changing it to jeans something that would basically say we're talking about the outside pants not the inside pants and if you haven't guessed by now that is our copy editor in the uk hi i'm wendy shakespeare 
I'm Senior Editorial Manager at Penguin Random House Children's. And what I do is I look after the copy editing and proofreading stages of our titles. I make sure all the tiny details are correct and that when it goes to print, our books are perfect. I ended up in publishing because I had a career plan when I think I was 14 and I followed it. (laughs) (laughs) My cousin had suggested it to me. I hadn't thought about it because he said, you know, why don't you work with books is what he said. You could be an editor. So he was eight years older than me, so he knew a lot more. So he put the seed in my head. Um, But actually what I was already doing, um, basically all the way through high school years, was I was reading my friends' essays for them and correcting them and telling them how to improve them. Oh, wow. So essentially I was doing that already without even realising it. And I thought I'd quite like to go into publishing. I didn't really understand much, but I thought I've got two options. I can either do a publishing degree or I do an English degree. Um, And if I do an English degree, I'll do a publishing master's. So that's what I did. I did American and English literature. Um, Had a year abroad in um, America in Rhode Island, which was amazing. Then I did my master's in publishing. And um, I was very lucky because I entered publishing at a time when it was a lot easier to do so. So um, I think two months after I graduated, I was accepted onto a graduate trainee program for a local history press where I worked on um, industrial history books which I really, really love because I like canals and railways and sort of, mm. in, yeah, just that side of things. So I did that for two years. Then I went into um, working for primary school um, resources. So uh, not textbooks, but books for teachers to help with um, lesson plans and making classes for primary school. Mm. And from there, I got accepted into Puffin Books as a copy editor. So I've been here ever since, and that's about ten and a half years ago. Wendy works on a lot of anglicizations, on adapting books that are written in American English to British English. Some of it is what we already heard, changing words that mean slightly different things. Two other things which uh, we have to be mindful of as well, which we have edited out of American books before, is um, the word bum for like hobo uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> because in um, the UK bum is a totally different word right. um, <laughs> and I'm sure you probably know about the classic one which is like fanny so we never ever ever have fanny packs in our books <laughs> right, right. I have edited it out of a book before I won't tell you which one <laughs> but it has been removed <laughs> um, and that also never used that word again so I think he knew that after that <laughs> But it goes beyond just word choice. It also covers spelling and various nuances in grammar and syntax. One of the common things we change is where prepositions are. So in American American English, it's very standard to say out the window. Uh But in British English, we would say out of the window or, you know, I'm going out of the door rather than just out the. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a very, very minor thing. And it's also not as cut and dry as converting all the instances of American English to British English. Every book gets a different treatment. I think sometimes people do have to be mindful, though. You don't be tinkering too much because you'll just kill the voice. It just no longer sounds like a young American kid anymore. I think I would be more... I'd find it weirder if an American's writing about an English character 
synthetic, say like Harry Potter or something, if it was, if it had been written by an American with like lots of American spellings in it, right, right. that would be really weird. Um, because to me, it's a really English setting. But when it's a strong American setting, you immerse yourself in that world, and it's it's not so weird at all. Working on a book where it is written by an English, you know, we're publishing it and it's English um, in a sense, but we felt that we had to leave in words like sidewalk and, you know, trash can. As opposed to pavement and rubbish bin. Because it just felt really strange to take it out of a very strong American setting and make it really British mm. with those words. But yeah, I think it does depend. If it's a YA fiction, we won't anglicise because older readers, you know, should be fine with a variety, you know, the variety of language that we have in the English language and, you know, how it's used. But for some books, say, that are middle grade, we're more mindful about trying to have UK spelling in there because um, children who are seven onwards, you know, they're learning spellings and learning sentence structure at that stage and hopefully really taking it in at that stage. So we feel that it's quite important for books to mirror the rules that they're being taught to um, make it easier to embed that knowledge. So even if they're not actively thinking, for example, how the word colour is spelt, but if they see it spelt with a U as the norm, it hopefully embeds in their memory and that they will find it easier to be spelling using British English form. So, yeah, it's really more for the younger fiction where we do it. And the reason why... um, Cosmos, we didn't anglicise much, but I was actually more mindful of the spelling, uh-huh. is because I was thinking it could be pitched to a slightly younger but more ambitious reader, and I didn't want them to be thrown, if they come across a word that in the US was spelt correctly, but in the UK means a slightly different thing, so say the word story without an E, for us, we'd just simply read it as, you know, a tale, a novel, a book. Um, but in America, it means that and a floor in a building. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to, you know, have that separation. So they're not being taken out of the story. We wanted it to be fluid. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that was my reason for only really targeting like very, very specific words to make it easier. So it's a smoother read. I don't know if Anthea shared it, but I basically read it over a weekend. And when I got got into work, I just told her, I had to tell her how much I loved it. I could not stop reading it. I'd like put it down and have to just get back to it. And that's actually a little bit part of why I didn't really want to change that much because I just couldn't bear to. Mm. Yeah, I just I was really mindful about being as unintrusive as possible um, and allow just allow a lot of Americanisms through, which is you know not my natural state of mind. But um, <laughs> but I thought yeah, it it, it fitted. What I did really enjoy about this experience was um, learning Alex's voice and learning Alex's idioms that helped inform me how the words are being used and how language is used. Uh-huh. Um, because I I found it really odd, like the use of commas, that like, vocative commas weren't used. But the more that I got into it, the more I understood why they weren't being used. I remember reading the word guises that um, uh, Alex yeah. uses. And I thought it was funny, but then when I thought more deeply around it, I realised that it was actually just a tick of Alex in the way that he creates his plural possessives. And it was his pattern. And even though it seems wrong, you know, to a copy editor, 
But you've got to think beyond that and think, you know, why is it like that? What's the reason? Does it actually fit? And it was really good because actually what I liked was that it was an insight into how he thought and how he, you know, he puts language together. Mm. So for me, it was actually kind of a learning experience to say that you have a rule, but sometimes you've got to break the rules, but you need a good reason to break the rule. <laughs> and you had a good reason. So it kind of, it, it reminds me to be humble and to have that sense of humility and to, you know, think carefully before you, you know, you suggest whether a correction could be made. And what Wendy is saying here doesn't just apply to anglicization. It applies to copy editing in general. A lot of authors, um, I believe, tend to think that copy editors are there to change your words. And, and um, you know, copy editors are not supposed to be intrusive at all. They're just supposed to, you know, just clean things up a little bit. And I think sometimes authors do get worried that their that their voices are going to be stymied um, because a copy editor might try to do too much by the book. Well, you have to make allowances for the author's voice and the characters and everything else. And in my experience, even when there are changes suggested by the copy editor, there are always just that. Suggestions. We wouldn't just completely go in there and just change everything. It would definitely be a conversation with the author as well to check that you're okay with us doing that. In fact, we've been so far as to say you know, rejecting edits on the author's behalf because we know that it doesn't fit the voice. And even though it's grammatically correct, it's, you know, it's not right. The author has the final call. Even if, even if, it's, a, even, even if it's a good argument for why the comma should be there, uh, it's always the author's call uh, because it's, it's ultimately, it's your voice that, that you want out there. And it's, it's, not, it's not up to the copy editor to decide that this, this does need a comma right here. So, so yeah, it's always the author's final decision. Thanks very much to my eagle-eyed, unintrusive, and might I add, thoughtful copy editors, Regina Castillo and Wendy Shakespeare. Thanks also to St. Benjamin, as usual, for the podcast music. You can listen to more of his stuff at saintbenjamin.com. See You in the Cosmos is available now in bookstores in both American English and slightly anglicized American English. Also, just a reminder, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it, give it a rating on iTunes. It takes 30 seconds and helps people like you more easily find the show. We're back now on a regular schedule, and next week we'll be talking about the design of the interior of the book. See you then.